Finance Presents. I'm Akiko Fujita, and today I'm joined by Amos Hochstein. He is President Biden's Special Coordinator for International Energy Affairs. It's good to talk to you today. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Let's start by talking about uh, gas prices on all the minds of all Americans. We have seen a pretty dramatic decline over the last month or so. Um, in some states, we're looking at an average of under $4 a gallon. What do you attribute that decline to? And to what extent do you think the president can actually take credit for this? Well, just like I said, when the prices were going up, uh, I'll say the same when the prices go down. There's always a multiple of factors uh, that go into uh, gasoline prices at the pump. One is, of course, the most important is the oil prices uh, that fluctuate. And then it's the uh, availability of refining capacity. Uh, and, and finally, the price that the refiner sets and the price that the gasoline station sets. So the, all these factors that come into the price. And then there is, uh, of course, um, you know, uh, the environment around it. So what are, what are driving each of those components? And what we saw was that post-COVID, uh, and remember, just about eight months ago, we were talking about new lockdowns, Omicron is gonna, gonna be the new Delta and so on. So there was really uh, this fear of shutting down and nobody was gonna drive again. But instead, we saw a resurgence in the economy, uh, remarkable growth, and therefore demand started growing. People started flying and driving a lot more. Prices of oil started rising because of the demand, but also at the same exact time that we were coming out of Omicron and, and growing so rapidly, that's when Putin started amassing troops around uh, Ukraine. The United States came out at the time with um, declassifying intelligence and saying we believe that he was actually going to a, do a ma major, massive ground invasion in the middle of Europe. So additional costs started coming into the oil markets for uh, the risk premium of the war in Europe. And that only accelerated. So we went from around $75 a barrel to about $120 a barrel uh, on these risk premiums uh, of both supply and demand and uh, Russian, the Russian war. Then the sanctions came in and drove up the price. And now what we, we have the culmination, and by the way, those things take time, right? They didn't go overnight over to 120, just kept on going up, creeping up. And the same thing with coming down. The president took a number of, President Biden took a number of steps. One, we released a million barrels a day uh, from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. That's the largest that we've ever done. Uh, we negotiated with international allies to release another 60 million barrels uh, into the oil markets from international on the, on the global market, not the United States. And so that started uh, putting a lot more oil onto the market, but not overnight. On June 1st, OPEC Plus, ahead of the president's announced trip, announced that they were increasing supply in July and August. So culminating all those things, we started seeing a precipitous decline in oil prices. Mm -hmm. So we've gone from 120 to 100. So we've really gone down, I think uh, WTI today, the American price is at 95 or so. Yeah. So that's $27 decline in oil price. That's enormous. Let's and talk about the prices have followed suit. I mean, let's talk about the expectation of <clears throat> where things can go from here. <clears throat> All expectations are that prices won't remain in this pullback for, you know, going into later this year. You had the IEA coming out and warning about a supply crunch going all the way into next year. As you pointed out, one million barrels a day being released at Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Um, that's expected to dry up in October, though. 
I mean, do, do you have enough to extend beyond that if prices do come back to the record levels that we saw earlier this year? So the, the intention behind uh, inc- the reserve release of a million barrels a day was because we met with the private sector in the United States who have said that they will be adding additional investment in CapEx into their uh, drilling uh, profiles and platforms, and that they will increase production by about 800,000 to a million barrels a day. And that will, but only will come on towards the end of the year. So this was really a stopgap measure. The United States government cannot be the supplier. We can't be an oil supplier. It's a reserve. And so we have to keep that. So the idea behind it is that we've seen the record profits that oil companies are making that they will invest in. So look, I know that experts are saying oil price will go up, but I'll, I'll remind you something. About a month ago, the same experts said that we were reaching, we were going to reach $180 this summer of oil prices. They said by the end of July, uh, JP Morgan said we're going to $350. Uh, and we saw some, a lot of reports saying now when we reach $5 a gallon, what did they say? They said we're going to $6, $7, $8. Instead, we've gone the other direction. So I would caution a little bit. There's a little bit of hysteria at the moment in the in the analysis of oil markets. So I, I, we're focused on trying to bring the price down. We think we can continue to maintain mm-hmm. a lower price. Can't guarantee that. There are all kinds of external factors on that. And we think that the company should consider uh, additional <laughs> investments into additional production. Just to confirm, though, I mean, it sounds like you're saying the SPR release was done in conjunction with conversations with the private sector. Have you received assurances from the private sector that they will, in fact, expand drilling come year end? We we received assurances from the private sector that they would begin the uh, investment so that by the time the end of the year rolls around, there will be an addition there. Their, production will increase. So it's not that they will start increasing, start investing at the end of the year. They're investing now is when they need to make those investments to get the drill rigs in place and to be able to increase production. But yes, we did have those conversations. I myself had those conversations with the leadership of several of the companies. Now, some say they'll increase. Some say they don't care if it's $200 a barrel or $300. They've said it publicly in the press. One of the CEOs, he doesn't care what the price is. And we think that's wrong. We think that is in the time of a war in Europe, when Americans are paying this kind of a price post-pandemic, and you'll see just in a couple of, in a couple of days, we're going to have the um, second quarter earning results mm-hmm. and, and look at those results and tell me if the American people think these companies should be reinvesting that money back into the economy, back into increased production. So some of the major companies have told us they will increase. That's mm-hmm. part of the reason we did the SPR release the way we did it. Uh, Let's talk about your recent trip to uh, Saudi Arabia. Obviously, you accompanied the president. On the back of that trip, you said that you're confident OPEC Plus has a few more steps in the coming weeks, sort of alluding to the fact that you got kind of a wink and a nod saying they will expand capacity. Number one, do the Saudis have enough spare capacity to increase supply in a meaningful way? And what's the expectation on your end? So the Saudis are one of the leading voices in OPEC, obviously but they're not the only player in OPEC. So I want to keep reminding people, when you go, um, it's, a, it's a collection of, of countries, of producers that really all have to play along and all have to come to an agreement. So it's not just about Saudi Arabia. Um, I, I, I'll be very careful. I don't, I'm not referring to Saudi's capacity. The capacity, their capacity to produce is their, their number. Uh, they've been talking publicly. The Crown Prince has uh, 
talk publicly about the fact that they're going to expand their capacity to 13 million over the next several years. Uh, but in the meantime, I think they do have room to grow their production uh, before they reach their max capacity. Uh, that's true uh, for other countries in uh, not many, but a couple of other countries in OPEC. Uh, and I think that uh, when we were in Saudi Arabia, we met with many of the OPEC countries, but not with OPEC. So what I was trying to suggest is they need to make a decision through their structures, through OPEC, not in a visit with the United States. We're not a member of OPEC and we didn't meet with them. So they need to have that conversation ahead of their next meeting on August 3rd, and we'll see what they do. I think that what, if you look at the joint communique that we, that we released with Saudi Arabia, we agreed on the structure, uh, on the concept that the market needs to have additional oil barrels in order to make sure that global economic growth can continue. That's the levels we wanna see. If oil prices come down a lot further, obviously that will change whether that means we need more or they should hold back. I know the administration is engaged in ongoing conversations with other countries uh, of a potential um, price cap on Russian oil. Obviously, the biggest buyers, China and India. What kind of buy-in have you gotten from those two countries? I mean, take us inside some of those conversations you've had. Yeah. So what we want to do is we want to, this is a direct continuation of the questions that you're just asking me. We want, you know, gasoline prices in America today are about the average is somewhere in the low four dollars, and 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 we're seeing even some in some states it's already in the mid threes, three dollars. So we're very happy about that. We want to keep things that way. What we don't want to do is increase the revenues for Putin because he's using the revenues from oil directly for his war campaign in in Ukraine. And you've seen the last several days really attacking schools, hospitals, and residential. So we want to take the revenue away while not taking away the oil on the market. So. We want what we've suggested is that we would put a, a ceiling a cap on how much revenues he can get. He can still sell the oil. We're not taking that away from him, but there would be a price limit to how much he would take. As far as the countries that we talk to, look, every country wants to pay as low a price as possible. It's not like India wants to pay the highest price. And we already are seeing evidence in the market that Russia is selling its oil at a, at a significant discount. So we want to put that max. So we know that they're willing to sell it at a discount in order to be able to sell it because, frankly, they have cash in the bank. That is true. But they don't have anything else. Their economy has nothing else. Uh, they produce weapons and they produce and they drill for oil and gas. So we want to put that cap. As far as reaching an agreement, I think that's still a ways away. We're, we're still working at that. We're trying to perfect the mechanism of how that would actually look and how it would work. We're not at a point where we have an agreement we have a, an agreement in principle with the major economies uh, of the G7, uh, yeah. but not an actual agreement yet. Um, you know, even as we talk about fossil fuels, we have continued to see the climate emergency play out. Record temperatures in Europe, 100 million Americans uh, under heat warnings right now. Um, as we see the surge in energy demand there, separate from increased drilling, what do you see as the energy mix? Do you increase nuclear in, in the absence of enough solar, enough wind? I'll tell you, I think that what this era has shown us this past year with this war and the conditions around the world is that the climate emergencies obviously get the crisis is getting worse. I mean, the, the heat wave in Europe is, is rather insane. We have 100 year heat waves, 100 year 
uh, fires, 100-year hurricanes, all happening every two, three years. And as far as energy mix, I think you're asking the exact right question. We can't move the transition with make-believe that we can just turn off oil and gas today. We need the oil and gas today to sustain our, our economy, our global economy. We see what happens when you don't have enough. Gasoline prices reach $5 and they could go up. Look at the price of natural gas in, in Europe and electricity today. They're at record highs where literally governments are feeling the stress. People are feeling enormous amount of pain and stress. So we need the oil and gas today. But we have to make investments right now in wind and solar deployment. And most importantly, we have to get electric, more electric vehicles to be able to be manufactured than they are now and to be deployed. We don't have an issue anymore of demand. People will buy them. We don't have enough cars. We don't have enough chips. Yeah. We don't have enough materials to be able for batteries. So we have to invest enormously today to increase our uh, reliance on uh, cleaner and more renewable sources. And that includes nuclear. We, we haven't built a nuclear power plant in the United States in decades. Uh, and, we need, and we have a fleet that needs more support in order to be able to stay, to stay up. Look what happened in Germany by taking off nuclear. We're now burning coal yeah. in Germany. That's, that's, that's something we shouldn't be doing here. So I think we have to do two things at the same time. We have to bring on more oil in the short and medium term, more natural gas in the short and medium term, to have more gasoline that's sort of refining in the short and medium term. We, we need more than we have today. At the same time, we need to create more tax incentives and more uh, other, and other kind of financial incentives to increase the investment in renewable energy and electric yeah. vehicles. Um, final question to you. The president's facing a lot of pressure from within his party to declare a climate emergency. If he does, in fact, take that step in the next few days, does that make your job in ensuring energy security easier or harder in the immediate term? Well, that's uh, I'll let him make a decision whether he's going to declare an, uh, an emergency or not, and I won't get ahead of him on that. I think that regardless, my job is to try to make sure we have enough supplies Today, uh, we're about to go into a hurricane season. We have to make sure we have enough supplies uh, today and for the next several years, and to get a coalition together to accelerate the energy transition. You know what's the amazing thing is we're having this debate in the United States about climate, and you know, are you anti-fossil or pro-fossil? Are you anti-renewables or not? You go to a country like Saudi Arabia this past weekend, and you meet with countries like UAE. Here are countries where 90% of their revenues are coming from oil, and they're making massive investments, far outpacing us in renewable energy, in solar, in hydrogen. They want to build nuclear power plants. They get that we are now in the middle of a transition. They don't deny it. They just want to be part of the energy transition so that they, are, they have sources of revenue when the acceleration happens uh, towards the end of that. We need to do the same. We need to catch up. And we have to, there's, there's one country that's sitting on the sidelines and watching us, and that's China. And they are building massive uh, capability in electric vehicle batteries uh, and the components. And we have to battle that. We have to decide today, the energy transition is happening with the, no matter what anybody in Washington says, it is happening. Electric vehicles will be a significant part of our fleet in just 10 years from now. And we have to decide, do we want China to control and run and lead the energy world of the rest of the 21st century, or do we want it to be the United States? I think it should be the United States, 
and, and the Western world with our values and our interests and our security. Because if you want to talk about security, I don't want China controlling every electric vehicle battery. I want, I want us and our allies to do it so that we're secure, for American people are secure. But there's no doubt that in the meantime, I also have to bring, we also have to work to bring down gasoline prices so that uh, people could, uh, so we don't go into facing these kinds of uh, economic pressures. So doing the same thing at the same, these two things at the same time, not easy, but we all have to do it. <laughs> it's a tricky balance that makes your job harder. Uh, Almost Hochstein, appreciate the time today. Thank you. Thank you.